This Thank meeting you. is being recorded. Good morning. Hi, good morning, everybody. How are you? So nice to see you this beautiful sunny morning in Toronto. I want to dedicate this class to a friend who comes on this class quite often, uh, Rafua Shalema for her son, Avram Shalom Ben, Hana Tsipora. You should have a Rafua Shalema. And of course, to anybody that you can think of in your mind, your, people who need a Rafua Shalema, your learning of Torah should be a zechus for them. And uh, Mordechai Shammai ben Alpa Miriam should have a Rafua Rifka Gittel Bas Yehudas. Okay, so we have been talking about the concept of Nisayon. I said we were going to discuss that a little bit today. A Nisayon is a test, tests that God sends us, right? This is called the life, the world of tests. This is the world of tests. This is where we have to overcome tests in order, so to speak, to earn our olam haba. Um, and I just wanted to share with you a test that I had this past weekend. There's different types of tests, obviously. There's big tests and there's little tests. There's tests that are a one-time occurrence. And then there's a test, you know, somebody insulted me. Something closed before I got there and I was counting on it being open. Those are the small little tests, right? I didn't get the job I wanted. Maybe that one's a little bit bigger. And then there's ongoing tests, right? Just situations that people find themselves in, whether it's an ongoing illness, whether it's, God forbid, losing a husband, losing a spouse, losing a child, God forbid, and all of the bigger tests of life that are ongoing. But this is the world of tests. And anybody who thinks that this is the last stop and this is what the world is all about, what goes on here, I, as I always said, I would have a very hard time believing in God if this is the only world there is. Uh, there's much written about this in Book Masilis Sharon, Path of Our Just, about man's mission in the world. And I'll just read to you quickly this. It says, the essential purpose of man's existence in this world is only to fulfill mitzvahs, to serve Hashem, and to withstand the tests that one faces. The pleasures of this world are worthy solely to be used as a help and an aid to a person so that he can have contentment and peace of mind in order to be able to free his heart to focus on the service that rests upon him. So basically, this world is the world of tests, and the next world we say is the world of reward. Um, so I'll share with you my little test. My husband and I were supposed to be going to New York, as Marlene knows. Um, we had a flight booked on Thursday at 12 noon, and we were going to one of our very best friends, last weddings in the family of their youngest son and we were booked to go at 12 noon as i said we were on our way down to porter airport and as we're going there it says that the flight's been delayed till one o'clock fine okay anyway we get to the airport we're in there and every hour on the hour they're saying fog as i coined the phrase is it odd is it god or is it fog um 
But in the meantime, we were not taking off. And not only were we there, but the Masader Kedushin, the rabbi from this boy's yeshiva in Toronto, who was supposed to be marrying them, was also in the airport with us. So I thought, okay, well, at least we're with some big, big people here. You know, if anybody's going to get this plane to go, it's going to be in his merit, not mine. Anyway, by four o'clock, they basically told us all to go home and that the plane is not leaving. So this is an example of how does one respond when these kind of things happen, right? We know that emuna means that we believe in God, but bitachon means how do we put that belief into practice? So, I mean, to tell you the truth, it's not like I had any choice. It's not like I could do anything about the fog. I wouldn't say this was the biggest nisayon of my life to just sort of accept and see what is going to happen. Are we going to go? Are we not going to go? You know, we were going to be in, for Shabbat, we were going to be with also very good friends of ours in the neighborhood that we lived in, in in Brooklyn. But, you know, I obviously have no ability to do anything. Now, the interesting thing is one of my friends said to me, well, that was pretty foolish of you to go on the same day as the wedding. Or like, why didn't you go at seven in the morning? Or like, why didn't you go the night before? Okay, so I could take that lesson. Maybe if you really want to get somewhere, maybe you should go the day before. But my husband just told me this morning, there was a reason why he booked so late in the day, uh, having to do with the care of his mother and everybody being out of town. Um, And the second thing he told me is that there was actually a girl who did end up going to the wedding, who at seven in the morning, the same morning as us, was told by Porter that the flight's not going to go. And she left and went on a Pearson. She went to Pearson Airport and took a flight from there and got to the wedding. Now, we didn't get any such notice about that. So, again, you see how, you know, you can try to use your rational brain to figure it all out. But the truth is, is bitachon means that how I respond is this is what Hashem wanted for whatever reason that I don't know. Right. And um, it's good. It's got to be good because this is what Hashem wanted. Now, you know, I was saying to my husband or maybe, you know, one of my friends who was talking to me about it said, well, you know, probably God was saving you from something worse. And you don't know, you know, what he might have been saving you from. And of course, we have all these stories all the time about people who missed their plane and the flight crashed. And, you know, this was not my story. But my husband said, you know, that's good when you can have a reason and you see it so clearly why God did things, you know. But a higher level of bitachon and amuna is really when you have no clue, you know. And it just, that's just the way it is. And for whatever reason, I wasn't supposed to get to my best friend's wedding. And I wasn't supposed to have this wonderful Shabbat with these wonderful people that we love who had gotten their whole family together to be able to see us again. And her kids, she said, joked and said, does that mean you don't want us anymore? You know, because they were invited for, because we were coming. But anyway, again, this is not a huge desayon, but it's an opportunity to flex that bitachon muscle that says, I don't know why. Obviously, God doesn't want me to go where I thought I needed to be. He wants me to be in Toronto for Shabbat, right? 
I mean, people had actually invited us for different meals before we were leaving. So I didn't actually have to make Shabbat, even though, you know, I just had to text everybody going, we're back again. Do you still want us for Friday night? Do you still want us for Shabbat lunch? So, you know, I said that they had, you know, Hashem had created the refuah before the makkah. Everybody knows what that means? That he creates the remedy before the illness. So before the bang, we already had Shabbos in place just in case we weren't going. So you could say, wow, right? But the point is, is we don't know. And that's why we're not God. And we have to bow our heads sometimes. And of course, again, I am not comparing this Nisayon to major Nisayono, like the type that Avram Avinu, for example, had in this week's Parsha, where he was asked to take his only son, the son that he loves, and Shechtim, right, on the mountain to God, which went against everything that Avraham understood about God. He doesn't want child sacrifices. This is not a Jewish idea, right? Um, but, of course, we know that he did it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit more about how we can learn from Avraham how to respond to tests. And also, what? why does God test us? What is the purpose of a Nisayim? Okay, so we have a saying in the Mishnah. It says, Kishem shemavarchim al-hatov, kach mevorchim al-hara. The Mishnah tells us in the same way that you bless God for the good that happens in your life, so too should you bless God for the bad. Wow. That's not easy, right? It's so easy. I always say, you know, we always say, thank God, thank God, thank God. You know, that part of Judaism I I knew growing up, you know, the thank God part. (laughs) But I didn't know the, the... Thank God when things are not going well. Thank God that things are, you know, not the way I want them to be, right? That's a whole different part of Judaism that unfortunately we're not necessarily taught. But this is what the mission is teaching us. And every time we have a Nisayon, it doesn't matter whether it's a big one or a small one. It's always Hashem's way of asking us to dig down deeper, right? To respond in a way that a person who knows there's a God, but not just knows there's a God, believes that God is active in his life, both through the blessing and through the pain, which actually is also a blessing, right? If we really could understand that. Blessing God for the good, the same way we bless him for the bad. And deepening every time we have this kind of test, our relationship with God, our emuna and our bitachon, in other words, putting God, our belief in God into practice, into the fact that he's not just running the world, but he's running my world. And everything that happens in my world is for my good and can only be good. Even, as we've said about Bitachon, even when it doesn't feel good, right? Even when I would have rather not taken the Uber downtown back up and missed my whole Shabbos, but it's all good, okay? And that, of course, is an easy one. So how much do I see everything coming from Hashem and that it's all for my good? This is really the litmus test of where we're holding in this um, skill. And emuna, bitachon, these are skills 
These are mindsets that we have to practice. Um, where am I holding, right? So just uh, quickly, what's the difference between Amuna and Bitachon? I've said it before. The Rambam says Amuna is like the tree and Bitachon is the fruit-bearing tree. You can have Amuna, you can believe in God, but have absolutely no Bitachon. And you can look like the most religious person in the world and be doing all the mitzvos, but you don't trust them, okay? Because this is all in my hands. This is all in my control. I'm going to do it. I'm in charge. I don't make room for God because he can't do as good a job as I can, okay? You know? So, Bitachon is the fruit-bearing tree. In other words, you can have emuna and absolutely no Bitachon, but it's impossible to have Bitachon, trust in Hashem, without, of course, believing in Hashem first. So you cannot have a, a, a you cannot have Bitachon without emuna, but you could certainly have emuna without Bitachon. Okay. Um, so... In Chobos Alavavos, this book called Duties of the Heart, which has an entire section devoted to Bitachon, uh, Rabbi Avigdor Miller has a commentary on that book. And he gives two suggestions in, uh, in the um, commentary on Bitachon that we can employ practically every single day. And I think this is important for us ladies. We, we always want the practical. We always want to know, well, what? What can I do? How can I, how can I implement this? How can I make this part of my life? So he says, before you do anything, meaning the biggest thing in your day from wanting to sell some real estate, let's say, just for example, or it's some kind of business deal, it's something major, you always start by asking Hashem for help before you even get there. For example, there are people who before they speak, that our speakers will say the Pasuk at the very beginning of Shemona Esrei, Hashem Sipasai Tiftach Ufi Yagid Secha. Hashem, you open my mouth, right? You open my mouth so that I can declare your praises. In other words, I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just a vessel, you know? Make me articulate. Make me able to give over the message in a way that people will receive it. So that's just an example. But in everything we do, Rabbi Victor Miller says, and of course, you know, I've said from getting a parking spot, right, from getting to an appointment quickly, the smallest thing, a relationship with another person, making it better. That's a big thing. But whatever it is, right, before you enter that situation, Rabbi Victor Miller says the way to become a Baal Bitachon, a Baalat Bitachon, a master of bitachon is to remember to include Hashem in your plans. Help me. Help me to accomplish this, okay? And then the second thing he says is, after you've succeeded, don't forget to say thank you. Remember to attribute your success to Hashem. And we have an example of that back into the Parsha, actually of last week, but we know last week began with Lech Lecha, and we said that this was the first of Avraham's ten tests. Avraham had ten tests in ascending order of difficulty, and the first thing I want to is what is the purpose of a test? Why does Hashem give us tests? Each one of us 
on our own level and tailor-made for us. So it says that God knows what we are capable, capable of, but we don't know always what we're capable of. So God brings out a test. Hashem brings out, brings a test in order to bring out certain kochot, certain strengths that we don't even know that we, we possess, that we may be completely unaware of. The nisayon, the trial, the test is not for God's benefit. He knows whether you're going to pass it or fail it. He knows everything. He's past, present, and future, right? But you don't know. You don't know what you're capable of. So it's for our benefit because through the test, we actual, actualize hidden potential. So again, we take something that's koach, that's a certain strength, and we bring it into poal. We bring from the potential and we actualize it. And then it has, so to speak, a reality. Not only do we know it, but the world itself benefits from the fact that we've been able to overcome this test. What's the root of the word test? You've probably heard this before, some of you. Nisayon. The first two letters is nase. What's a nase? Right? Al-hanisim ba'al-ha-niflaot. A nase is a miracle. God's saying every time you pass a test, it's like a miracle. Okay? Because so often we don't pass. Right? So often... We try and we try again and we try again and we try again and we hit our head against the wall and we make that bad remark back to the person who's insulted us, right? And we use bad language because the bank closed just before we got there. And we do all kinds of things and we don't pass the test of bringing it up to God and saying, this is not about the bank closing. This is not about that person insulting me. It's not about why is she doing this to me. It's about why is he doing this to me? Why is he sending me this test? Right? So we fail. We may fail over and over again. But the point is, is when we don't, the nisayon, the nais in the test is a miracle that we were able to overcome this time. That we somehow were able to conquer our midot, our anochias, our self-absorption. And overcome whatever it is, the anger, the jealousy, and bring it to a higher place, right? Why am I getting angry? God's the one who sent this person. Maybe I'm supposed to be able to control myself. Maybe I'm supposed to let my grudges go. Maybe what Hashem's trying to teach me is not to treat other people like that. What's the message? What's the lesson? That's the way a person grows through life. We know what I always say. When you point a finger at someone else, three are pointing back at you and one's pointing up to Hashem. <laughs> right? What does he want from me? Okay? So that's nace. But there's also another understanding of the word nace is a banner. A nace is a flag. Because again, when you pass the test, it's as if you've raised yourself up. Right? Like a flag that waves up high and raises has been raised up, it's like you've been able to raise yourself up and elevate yourself into seeing, wow, I could really be something more. When I'm able to pass this test that I get over and over and over again in my life, and we usually get the same ones because Hashem's trying to teach us something that we specifically need to learn. 
And that's a very important thing that we're going to talk about in terms of Avraham, but then in terms of ourselves and in terms of all the patriarchs and matriarchs. So again, the challenge of a test like a flag is to raise up the person or raise up the righteous people, as we know our tzaddikim and tzikaniyot were, by lifting them to a whole new level of spiritual heights. The test that solidified, the test that Avraham went through solidified all that Avraham had discovered and no, no, knew in his head, right? We all know lots of stuff in our head, but now he was going to be able to put what he knows in his head into action, right? So, you know, sitting at the airport, I could have been worried. I could have been anxious. I could have been angry. I could have been, and I'm not saying I'm a Tadekis, okay? I happen to be a laid back homer personality to begin with. I actually said, I actually enjoyed the four hours in Porter Airport because I got to read. I was listening to tapes. I was walking around. The furniture was beautiful there. I mean, if there wasn't a fog, I could have enjoyed the water too and taken the ferry ride. But, you know, I just put a positive spin on it. Okay, you know, I got to go downtown. I don't go downtown too often. You know, it was. I, I even practiced uh, packing everything in a carry-on, which I don't think I've ever done before. Like, this was my practice run to see if I could, like, actually go a whole weekend with a small little suitcase, you know. So there were a lot of things that I could put a different spin on, it, right? So, again, the idea is that... <clears throat> We want to take what we know, all of these principles of bitachon. And as the Chazanish says, a lot of people chirp, he says, about bitachon, you know. And they say, oh, you know, you have to have bitachon. And they tell other people, you have to have bitachon. But the point is, is we don't really know if we have it until we're tested. And when we're tested and we are able to take what we know and put it into action, that's really where we get spiritual elevation, and we can be proud of ourselves that we're implementing what we know and it's not just remaining in our head. Okay, so the Maharal goes on to say what we said before, that the word Nisayon is from the word Nase, and a miracle is supernatural. And the ability to pass tests happens with help from above. When we look to Hashem, when we stop, as we said before, and we say, this is just a test. You know, if we can have that pause while it's happening, Hashem, I know this is a test. There's that person opening up their mouth to me again. I know this is a test. Do not adjust your set, right? This is a test. And when a person makes themselves aware that this is a test and then they say, Hashem, maybe they whisper, help me, help me to respond appropriately, help me not to lose it, help me to visualize that person that I want to be Visualization is an incredibly strong uh, method to achieving the ability to pass tests because you know what your tests are, you know who your tests are, right? So if you can visualize yourself in that situation and all of the feelings and all of the emotions that rise up in you, and then you can visualize yourself being the person who you would like to be, responding in that moment and make that very, very clear in your mind and practice this almost as a meditation. Studies show that you will rise to that 
image of that person if you practice this over and over again. So that's just another idea of obviously Avraham was somebody who was always seeing himself as the foundation stone of the Jewish people, of this new people who would spread monotheism. And he knew that everything he did in action and even in thought was going to have repercussions. And so he wanted to, you know, respond in the highest way possible. Did he always pass the test? Not always, because a human being doesn't. Uh, Sheva um, Yipol Tzadik, a, a Tzadik falls seven times, we say, right? Interestingly, you know, I'll say this at the end, but okay, so the same way that Avraham, for example, again, like we said last week, was able to leave everything behind and to go out in search of not only himself, but spreading his new religion and his new philosophy, each one of us has the ability to, so to speak, remove ourselves and take a new look at our lives and where we want to get to, because we have that power from Abraham. Okay? Um, the test that Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov passed give us the strength and amuna to pass our own tests because we've inherited their spiritual DNA. We have the ability to also pass our own unique tests. Um, okay, what I wanted to talk about now is the specific example, again, in last week's Parsha, where Avraham um, is involved in a war right? He fights the four kings and he does this specifically to save Lot, his nephew, his no good nephew, right? Um, and this is a war where Avram is incredibly outnumbered, hopelessly outnumbered, much like the Israeli army, I would say, in modern times, especially at the beginning of the state and the first wars that we fought, were hopelessly outnumbered logically in terms of battle um, against our enemies, right? The Arabs who were fortified and all circling around us. And obviously they had money and armaments and everything they needed to destroy us in a second. And of course we know it didn't happen. So too, back here in the Parsha, Avram fights this war to get his nephew Lot back and he wins it. Now, somebody who was not a Balbi Tachlon would say, wow, I did it. I'm brilliant, right? My strategies are fantastic. I was able to do this. But not only does Avraham not say that, Avraham says when they want to give him a, when, they, when he is entitled to take the spoils from this war, he says, I don't even want a shoelace, Right? As it says in the Chumash, I lift up my hand to Hashem, God, the Most High, maker of heaven and earth, if so much as a thread to a shoe strap, or if I shall take from anything of yours, because I don't want you to say it is I who made Avram rich. This is what he tells Abimelech, who offers him the spoils from the war. He says, I don't want anybody to say, you know, it was me who made Avram rich because his point was, is he was trying to express the idea that 
trying to, that he exp was expressing the idea that the fact that I won this war was completely from Hashem. It had nothing to do with me. I made my effort. I decided to fight this war, but Hashem is the one who made me win this war and I'm not taking anything from anybody so that they could say, you know, it's because of me that you got rich. Because Avram was saying, whatever I have is always from Hashem. You know, you might be the shaliah, you might be the messenger, you know, for good or bad in my life, but everything ultimately comes from Hashem. And that's what a Baal Bitachon is. That's what a master Bitachon is, right? He doesn't take credit for the results of something. The results are always in Hashem's hands, at least as we said. So his reaction immediately was so God-centered and not me-centered. Um, he had this inner strength that he didn't feel he needed to take any of the spoils for himself. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, because of this, this is how the Jewish people got the mitzvah of tefillin. The mitzvah of tefillin is derived from this episode with Avram. Avram says, I'm not going to take so much as a thread or a shoe strap. So this became the, the tefillin. And of course, what is tefillin all about? We put it on our head and we wrap it on our arm because the idea is, is it's not our intellect and it's not the strength of our might, but it's only the strength and the intelligence which comes from Hashem, right, that he gives us and that he allows us to use in order to be successful. So the tefillin are a constant reminder that everything that I have and everything that I do I use the talents and the kohos that Hashem gave me, but the results are not because I did it. And this was always a criticism of the Israeli army and the secular mentality in Israel in those early days. This kohiva otsim yadi of we did it, we're smarter, we have better strategies without seeing clearly how Hashem fought the wars, as he says in the Torah over and over again, that I will fight for you, right? The Maccabees, just like, you know, the Israelis compared themselves to the Maccabees, but they left out the God part of it, you know, that, yeah, that's right. That's great. You know, you put on your guns, you went out there and fought, you had a lot of chutzpah to go and even try to win, but come on, you know, let's be real. God helped you win these wars. But, you know, of course, when you when you acknowledge that part, then all of a sudden that, that leads you into a whole new world of, oh, my goodness, well, that means maybe God wants something from me, you know, so we don't want to go there. Somebody recently told me that, you know, they did a study of, of uh, different ethnic groups, different people, and their relationship to God and religion. And they said that, you know, the highest number of, people that have trouble with God are the Jewish people. The Jewish people have the most complicated um, relationship with God of all other people. And, you know, my husband always likes to say, well, that's because, you know, if you buy into this, there's a lot that God expects from you, right? It's not just, you know, you've got to love other people, you've got to, you know, turn the other cheek or whatever it is, you know, you've actually got all these mitzvot to do. And also, you know, that uh, it's an intense relationship between God and the Jewish people. And 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 um, every Jew sort of subconsciously knows that. So 
in some ways, it's easier to ignore it. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about based on the tests, and I just wanted to read you quickly the 10 tests that Abraham went through. Now, I said that Rashi and Rambam have a different list. They differ on some of the tests, but we're going to go with the Rambam, okay? Just for your information, the first test was Lech Lecha, that Avram had to leave him, leave his home and his family and exile himself. The second test was, of course, when he comes to the land that I will show you, there's a famine there. There's nothing to eat, okay? And this is after God assures him that he's going to become a great nation there. So he has to leave Canaan and he has to go to Egypt. And of course, we know what happened there, right? Um, Sarah is abducted. And the corruption in Egypt obviously is a menace to Abraham's very life. Then he has the war with the four kings, which we just discussed a little bit. Fifth, his marriage to Hagar. This is considered one of his tests because obviously his primary wife was Sarah. And um, it's only because he couldn't have children that he ended up taking Hagar. The sixth one, which is this week's Parsha, Vayera, the commandment to circumcise himself. He was 99 years old, right? Not an easy operation, period. Even if you're eight days old, specifically for the men standing around the baby. They have a really hard time with it, right? Um, and the mother and, you know, the women, ah, enough crying already. Why did the baby's mouth? You know? Um, anyway, yeah, so Avram's bris that he does in this week's Parsha. Again, Sarah's abducted by Avimelech. Very big test, and I want to focus on this one. Driving away Hagar after she had given birth to Yishmael. Okay, so I just want to highlight here that Hashem tests us in the areas where it could be our greatest strength. Now, you know, for Abraham to help the needy or to do kindness was not a struggle for him because he was the personification of Chesed. His character trait, his main character trait, we're told, was the mida of kindness, of doing for others, Right. We see in this week's Parsha how he runs to greet the three angels slash men who come, you know, from the desert, even while he's recuperating from his difficult surgery, right? He doesn't even feel the pain, so to speak, because he's so intent on giving to these guests. And yet, what is he tested in? He's supposed to send away his son, Yishmael. And let him, you know, whatever happens to him, happens to him. And we know that this goes totally against Abraham's nature of chesed. Very often the area we're tested in is that area where we need to learn how to, so to speak, use that mida in a new way. So we all know the expression, you have to be cruel to be kind sometimes, Right. The parent who is always giving, 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 and there's never any boundaries and there's never any no's is going to have a monster to deal with in years to come. So just giving is not good. 
And Avram had to learn this the hard way, right? We know that it was uh, Hashem himself who comes and tells Avraham, uh-uh, Sarah is right. This kid has to be sent away, has to be separated from Yitzchak. You need to listen to Sarah because she has greater prophecy than you. Somebody just recently asked me, what about the story of Yaakov? I mean, Yaakov lies. He pretends he's somebody he's not. How can he do that? And we know that Yaakov is called Ish Emes, the man of truth. And this was terribly difficult for Yaakov when his mother, Rivka, right, tells him, we got to do this. I got to dress you up as Asaph and you got to make sure you get the brachas. Again, Hashem tests us in that area and says, I want you now to lie for the sake of truth. I want you to be cruel in order to be kind. I want you to lie because in this case, lying is the way that we're going to get to the truth with the truth in that case was that you are the Bechor and you do have to get these brachas for the sake of the future of the Jewish people. So you are the spiritual Bechor, if you like. So, you know, we have to each look into our own personality traits and see where is it that we excel what character trait do I have? You know, I was thinking about myself. Not that I want to tell you everything about all my bad character traits. But I'd say that one of my character traits, which maybe I inherited from my mother, is my spontaneity. You know, if somebody calls me up and says, hey, do you want to go for a walk? Or, you know, somebody asked recently that one of the psychological questions that... Excuse me, that you could ask somebody to know how they're wired is to ask yourself, am I a yes person or am I a no person? In other words, if somebody asks me to do something, is my immediate response, no, I can't do that, right? Or is my immediate response, yes. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to figure out how to do it, right? You know, somebody asks you to go for coffee with them and it's air of Pesach, you know, and you're still not finished, you know, and if you're a yes person, you're going to say, you know, you like this person, you want to say, yes, I mean, and I'll figure it out, I'll make it work, I'll make it happen, right? And if you're a no person, it's always no, and then you kind of like slowly, maybe you figure out, you know, maybe I could do it, you know, it really doesn't make sense, it's not logical, it's, you know, it demands a little too much moving things around. So, you know, you know who you are by whether you're a yes or a no person, you know, a little bit. So, again, I'm somebody who's very spontaneous. I would say I'm a yes person, okay? Now, what could be the negative of being such a spontaneous kind of person? So, the negative side of that could be impulsivity, right? There's a fine line sometimes between spontaneity and impu foolish impulsivity, right? Acting quickly. Right. Because the same spontane spontaneous person is somebody who, so to speak, acts quickly. Their mind works quickly. I can figure this out. I can do this. Right. I can help you. But at the same time, the negative part of that could be impulsivity or sometimes jumping too quickly or not thinking things through. Or, you know, all of these different things. You know, you could be a warm person, a friendly person, a passionate person. 
But how do these things work against you? Or how could you sometimes be tested? What if the person you're with isn't very warm back? Do you dislike them because of it? Or are you able to realize that there's different types of personalities, right? Do you judge people? Are you somebody who, you know, maybe for yourself, you're very warm and friendly, but are you judgmental of people who aren't as easily? Maybe they're shy. Maybe they're very introverted, right? So we're often tested, number one, in those areas where our strengths are great, but we need to learn how to use them differently. Or we're tested, obviously, in areas of weakness. And, you know, obviously we have to, you know, work on those areas of weakness. But there is an idea, and I like to say this, that first of all, all the character traits are all interconnected to each other. So whatever character trait you desire to work on, it will affect all the other ones. When you work on whatever it is, whether it's having more bitachon or not responding in anger, right? Or questioning your jealous thoughts with thoughts of bitachon. I have exactly what I need. Hashem gives everybody exactly what they need to be able to accomplish their task. When we do that, then we're able to, again, even passing a nisayon in our minds is something that's very important. Okay. Um... So we know that the Akeda, you know, Abraham's taking um, Yitzchak up and, you know, having to slaughter him for God's sake, literally, was one of the major, what was the most difficult test for, for Abraham. I mean, this is completely against Chesed, right? This is completely going against his nature. Um, but not only does he do it, we're told, but he does it with Zrizus. Right, Avraham wakes up early that morning. He saddles his own donkey. He even chops the wood. Now, Avraham was a rich man. He had a lot of servants. He didn't have to do all these things. Sorry. I have a bit of a frog in my throat. It's coming harder to speak. But he does it all with Zrizos. And if you remember, and you can refer to this in my um, podcast, where we did the four elements. We said that every human being is composed of earth, water, wind, and air. So I just want to end with a little bit of a review of that. And again, the idea of Avraham and Tess and the importance of how to use the earth part of us appropriately. Okay, so the earth element, which we all contain the four elements, right? The earth element in its negative aspect is sluggishness, laziness, right? We all have that earthy part of us. We just want to go with gravity, right? The most physical part of ourselves is the earth element. Sluggishness, laziness, and what I want to focus on, sadness, okay? But what I want to focus on is jealousy because the earth element is also connected to the scarcity mindset, right? 
There's not enough for everybody. If you take it, then I'll have less, right? If you have it, then somehow you've taken it away from me. This is the mindset of jealousy, right? There's not enough to go around. And we know that the story in the Chumash, in Bereshis, that exemplifies the negative manifestation of earth is the story of Cain and Hevel. Over and over again, we're told that Cain was a worker of the earth. And, you know, we have all of these allusions to earth. If you look back at that story um, in terms of Cain, right? Cain became a tiller of the ground. Um, Um, right, he was a tiller of the ground. It goes on. And of course, after he kills his brother, God says, you are cursed more than the ground, right? When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You're going to become a vagrant and wanderer on the earth, right? Everything is very earth. So kind is the manifestation of earth in its negative form. Avraham Avinu, in this week's Parsha specifically, but from the moment we see him, is the element of earth in its positive manifestation, which is that he uses the mida of zrizut, of zealousness, of moving quickly, of alacrity, to be able to overcome this earth element in us that wants to drag us down, right? And we see this over and over again, whether it's the lech lecha, where he leaves everything behind and is able to move away from all of those influences which are negative and get himself going, right? Or whether it's running to greet the guests in this week's Parsha. And finally, in a task that goes completely against his nature, completely against his chesed, he's able to get up early that morning, saddle his own donkey, cut the wood, to take his 37-year-old son up to the mountain, the one son that he's waited 100 years for, who's going to be the continuation of the Jewish people, and only because he recognizes this is a test from God. Am I going to subjugate my own mind and my own ideas to that which God is telling me to do? This is always the nature of a test. A heavenly test is one that forces a person to choose between God's will and his own nature or his own understanding of what is right. By doing the Akeda, Avram demonstrated his conviction that man's highest goal is to accept the divine wisdom as the sole truth. When Avram takes Yitzchak up on the Akeda, right, he achieves the zenith of his potential. And he has no more tests after this last one. But the point is, too, back to this idea of the earth, the earthiness of us. Avram's able to overcome his earthiness with this abundance mindset, right? He's the man of chesed. He's the man that wants to feed the whole world. He's the man that says, Hashem, I'm going to give and you're just going to keep the resources flowing because I'm just the treasurer. I'm just giving it out, 
right? And there's enough for everybody. Together with that mindset and this, this get up and go, right? This moving of his external limbs, even if inside he, his emotions may be conflicted, but he knows he's doing God's will. He knows he's doing the right thing. Obviously, he knew that God was talking to him, you know, clearly. We don't all get that, uh, you know, leg up in terms of our own tests, you know, where God comes to us and says, Penny, this is what you're going to do today. This is what I'm asking of you, right? It's not like, oh, yes, God, sure. I mean, unless, God forbid, you know, you're losing your mind today, that, you know... Sometimes people will phone my husband up who works with converts and they'll say, you know, God spoke to me and told me that I'm supposed to be Jewish. You know, and my husband will say, well, that's amazing that he spoke to you. He never spoke to me. <laughs> and I've been doing, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, you got to be careful with that. But obviously, Abraham understood and knew this was God and nobody else telling him to take his son. So whether or not he was conflicted emotionally, it externally... He knew the solution was that when you move your body externally, it informs your emotions. It changes how you feel, right? Somebody recently just told me that they've done a study where if you put a pencil in your mouth like this and you read an article, you will actually find the article funny. Even if it's the most serious article that you're reading, just by virtue of having changed your mouth, Okay. The external affects the internal. That's what Avram Avinu teaches us through this character trait of get up and go, alacrity. Even if you're not sure, you know, we all know you're not feeling happy, you're feeling sad, you're feeling depressed. You go out for a walk, you put on some music, you move your body, you feel differently, you feel better, right? So anyway, this is what Avram Avinu uh, does to be able to pass these tests. He takes his earthy quality and he uses his body to get him to do what needs to be done. Okay, I'm just going to end with this last little thing about the idea of tests. Abraham's final test, his most difficult test, right, is on a mountain, not a coincidence. The Jewish people get the Torah on a mountain, right? And the reason why is that Hashem is telling us <clears throat> that in all of our journeys and in all of our challenges and in all of our tests, we might fail, right? There are places where the Rambam and others discuss that Abram actually made some mistakes, the one I mentioned last week was that, you know, maybe he should have stayed in Kanaan where there was a famine and trusted that Hashem is going to feed him somehow. But instead he went down to Egypt and Sarah was kidnapped. He could have said, whoops, what did I do wrong, right? Maybe I did the wrong thing. But the point is, is they, there are some afforshim, the Ramban says he should have stayed where he was. So even the great ones, right, our, our great people are human, they make mistakes. They're models for us in overcoming challenges and, and tests, but also falling and failing and getting up again. That's what makes a person a tzaddik. So in all of our journeys and challenges, we might fail and we might fall. Sometimes we even have to retreat. We have setbacks in our life. 
But the going down is for the purpose of going up. If you've heard this idea, there's a Yerida before the Aliyah. Sometimes you have to take two steps back to go three steps forward. And you can feel like, what is going on? Why are things so dark right now? Why am I not able to feel Hashem, see Hashem through this difficult time? But like I always say, even when the sun isn't shining and it's cloudy and it's a dark sky, we know the sun is still there. It's just behind the clouds. That's when Emuna and Bitachon has to be plugged in to the concept of hope, that that hope is something that we don't give up on because we know that God's promises will happen in our own lives and in the lives of our nation. So within the Yerida, within the going down, is the Aliyah, right? <clears throat> within the trial are the seeds of our greatness and our ability to grow higher. <clears throat> And that's what Avram Avinu and all of the Avos and Imahos teach us and all of the different trials and tribulations that the Jewish people have gone through, right, um, since the time of our beginning. And of course, as, as we said, the, the stories that we're reading in Bereshis are Maisala Avos Simon Labani, the deeds, the, the deeds of our forefathers are signs for us for the future in our own tests in our own lives, how to learn the lessons from them, how even when we fall down, we have to know that Hashem is holding on to us even in those times of, you know, feeling lost and abandoned or failures. We have to raise ourselves up and continue to climb the mountain. Okay, that's our class for today. I hope you enjoyed. <laughs>